0: From roommates to co-hosts, this is the Back Check with Brendan Azov and Stefan Rosner, your go-to destination for New York hockey and NHL news. And now it's time to drop the ball. Here are your hosts, Brendan Azov and Stefan Rosner.
1: Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 16 of The Back Check. My name is Brendan. With me, as always, is Stefan, and we are going to break down a lot of the Rangers and Islanders performances of this weekend. There was a couple of interesting lapses both teams had, but both teams got a split. Uh, I mean, in the end, in this division, that's what we expect in two-game sets, so relatively holding true to form there, and a lot of talk about, especially after today's action with both the Rangers and Islanders in-game action throughout the course of the day stefan how are you doing today my man
2: i'm doing pretty good you know islanders picked up seven of eight points this past week they beat down against the bruins they you know they had a two goal lead on saturday against the penguins they blow that they lose in overtime tough one but the next night sunday they come back they get a two nothing lead in this one they don't blow it they get the win sorokin back-to-back shutouts in his last two starts wallstrom's looking like the guy they need this this player to be a, a goal scorer, he scores on the power play to give the Islanders the lead, gets an assist on the p- power play goal they score later, has Joe's goal, and he just looks incredible. It was a great win for the Islanders to end their weekend as they get set to face the Devils this Tuesday
1: yeah it definitely was and i mean the theme of the weekend kind of was beat down on the bruins for both new York <laughs> games. seven two win for the islanders six two win on friday night for the rangers but before we start to dive into it we're introducing a new segment this sunday you know today it's sunday night we usually record this show in the morning but we are recording it tonight because of all the action that was going on today but our buddy Vinny parise covers the new jersey devils he's going to be joining us for about two to five minutes every single Sunday to give a little devil's breakdown. We're calling it Parise's Puck Talk because we are a big fan of, is it, is it alliteration? Is that the right?
2: Uh, yes, I'm, I'm a big fan of the alliteration.
1: There we go. So we got Parise's Puck Talk, perfect last name for somebody to cover the devils. Uh, we all know Zach Parise, once still in that black and red sweater. So he'll be joining us to break that down. And... I mean, it's going to be a fun time talking to him about that because I know we don't get to watch as much Devil's Hockey as we do considering we both cover other teams. And it's it's good to see what they're doing because they are a very exciting young team to watch. They had a tough weekend against the Capitals, but most people that play the Capitals do have a tough weekend.
2: Yeah, I mean, they did score first against the Capitals today, but they ultimately lose 3-2. But, you know, I would love to start by talking about the Islanders and what they did um, tonight because – you know, it's when you blow a lead, first off, the Islanders score about two goals. I think it was in two minutes and 56 seconds on Saturday night. Penguins scored two goals in two minutes and 26 seconds. And that game, you know, the Islanders lost their way a little bit. Varmov a little shaky, and they go to overtime. And the Tang, who's killed the Islanders, gets his second for the game winner. But tonight, the Islanders did exactly what they did on Saturday night. They got out to a lead late. this back-to-back games where they score a power play goal late in the first period. They get to a lead late, but they hold onto the lead. And it they made it easy on themselves getting pucks deep doing the little things I mean they only allowed they only allowed the Penguins to get 20 shots on goal but they had outshot them every single period they played smart on their own and I think I mean their turnovers were minimal they had six giveaways in the game a lot less than they had the other night and for Islanders team that's looking to make make headway in the the standings right now they did a great job this week and back-to-backs have been something the Islanders have done very well With trots behind the bench. And I expected a good performance today. Sorokin, you know, last time out, he played the Sabres. Not comparing that at all to the Penguins. So it was going to be interesting to see how he played. Wasn't tested early, but he was very sharp. Made some key saves throughout the game. And he looked good. And now this gives the Islanders a chance to maybe ride him a little bit. Because up to this point, Bartolomov has started 16 of the 20 games for the Islanders this season. And it seems to be taking a little bit out of him. He looked exhausted. He looked tired. I have no problem going back to Sorokin on Tuesday against the Devil team after his performance tonight, which wasn't wasn't a difficult one like it was against the Sabres uh, about a week ago.
1: He, he wasn't tested at all. I mean, th- this was a cakewalk for him, especially with somebody as talented as he is. He had, what, 10 shots through two periods. They put a little more on him in the third, but still nothing was really outlandish i think that the islanders did a great job of playing in front of him they have the last two starts i know he made a couple of key saves against the sabers in that shutout but even then what he faced 21 shots on goal they they haven't really been pushing his button as in terms of the way they did the early on this season and i i know you saw my tweet during the game i wish the rangers could do that for their goaltenders but they can't at least not right now so Definitely an easy way for him to start getting acclimated to NHL action, back-to-back shutouts. Anytime a goalie can do that, it's an accomplishment. But by no means was it a strenuous workload for him tonight. And the Islanders played really well. I mean, they yes. locked down the zone, they, they locked down the neutral zone, and they capitalized on their two chances.
2: That's the biggest thing. When the Sorokin's first couple of starts, the Islanders just didn't play well defensively, and, and Sorokin was tasked, and he didn't come up. Uh, with the big saves, and it was tough. But you're seeing over the last two starts, the Islanders really played well in front of him. I know in the Sabres game, he faced 13 or 14 high danger chances out of his 20 saves. That's a lot. He had to work for it. Tonight, I guarantee the high danger chances probably around five or six. But again, the Islanders played well in front of him. He played well, and he looks confident. How can you not have confidence when you have back-to-back shutouts in the NHL? So, like I said, this gives Trotz... The option to ride Sorokin for a little bit. Bar- it's not a knock on Varlamov's play, even if he allowed two weak ones yesterday. It's a fact that it's a 56-game season. You want Sorokin to be ready if he needs needs to play later in the season. But also, you got to keep Varlamov fresh. We saw after Game 1 of the season where Varlamov played out of his mind against the Rangers. And the next game after that, he comes out with the injury. Sorokin plays, to get lit up. But then the next game back, Varlamov's great. So a day off in between... You know, in between starts isn't a bad thing. We've seen other goalies take advantage of long breaks and come back and play fine. You want to keep Varlamov fresh, but you don't also want to let him, you know, lose what he's done. If he goes a couple of games without playing, it might be a rough one his first game back. But I think Sorokin has deserved the opportunity to play on Tuesday. And I think the Islanders as a whole have played well recently, and they have to keep building on this. And You know, last year, before the break, they were o three and 4 in, especially in a 56-game season, you're going into a playoff spot. If the Islanders are, in fact, in a playoff spot, you got to go in hot. So the Islanders have to keep getting points. Points are the biggest thing. Yes, you, you want to get two points last night on Saturday night against the Penguins. You had a lead. You blew it. That's tough. At that point come back to bite you. But they come back and respond very, very well uh, tonight against the Penguins.
1: They do. And I think that Sorokin should get that next start, even though I hate saying that because I have Varlamov in fantasy, so that kind of hurts <laughs> me. But – can only faced six high danger chances, so you kind of nailed that on the head, and I would say that out of those six high danger chances, they really weren't. There were maybe three that were quality, quality stops. They, they didn't really push his buttons, like I said, in goal. So overall, great win for them. I mean, they had to do it after blowing a late lead against Pittsburgh the game before. That's been a, a kind of a, a theme with Pittsburgh Penguins when they win. They're coming back late in games and capitalizing in OT or the shootout. So it's not a, not a bad thing that they blew a lead. They, that's a good pesky team, especially late on. And they did what they had to do today. Similar, the, the exact opposite of the Rangers performance who beat up the Bruins team and then got beat up tonight. Uh, today, I should say. The, the Bruins did what the Islanders did, right? They bounced back, and good teams bounced back, and the Islanders are a good hockey team. I mean, I there's no that. other way to say it. The Islanders are a good hockey team. That doesn't mean that they're going to do anything. I still don't think they're talented enough to win the Cup because I think that they have a lot of players who are hot right now, especially offensively, and both their goals were on the power play. Pittsburgh's not a solid defensive team, and they couldn't score anything five on five, so that is not a good sign for me, especially with how much they dictated the play the first 40 minutes. But they're a good team. They're going to make the playoffs. I predicted them to make the playoffs. I said they were. I just don't think they have the elite skill level to get past the teams that are going to ultimately be playing in that final four. Because I I don't even know how it's going to work this year. They might get out of the East, like this East division. But if they're playing, if they get matched up against a Colorado, or I, I can't see them shutting down those teams like they can do to other teams right now during the regular season.
2: No, I completely agree with that. But one thing that Islander fans have been longing for is a goal scorer. The Islander needs to go get money. They need to go get a guy. They need to go trade for an asset. you are looking at the goal scorer they, they need. His name's Oliver Wallstrom, and he's on your roster already. And he's playing well as of late. He's on a four-game point streak. He's got two goals, two assists. Two goals, three assists, excuse me, because he had a goal and assist uh, uh, tonight in the win. And it's all about confidence. Correct. He, shoots the, he has a shoot-first mentality, something that a lot of Islanders do not have gets the puck on goal. We've seen goals the entire season that have come off a Wallstrom shot, where there'd be a rebound. Pajot the other day. Look at all the things he's doing, and it's everything you want to see from a goal scorer, and he's young. But this is a guy that could play on a top power play unit where he's got an absolute cannon of a shot. He had the honors on the board today, and his assist was a beautiful assist to Letty Cross team. Letty found Pajot in the slot, and didn't make a mistake going 5 on to Smith. But it's the puck movement. He, it's not just a scorer. He makes the plays. He takes hits. He lays hits. This is the guy right now that you have to groom into being a top goal scorer for this team. And he really, really can be. And I have all the confidence that he can develop the way we think he can develop under head coach Barry Trotz.
1: Yeah, I mean, there's no reason to think he can. He's got the, the skill set. We saw that in his draft year. And he had the benefit of going overseas and playing while most people were sitting still. So that definitely helped him. And he's made the most of his brief opportunities so far in the in the lineup. I, I believe his shot was tipped today. I don't think he picked the corner like that. Now, yeah, I I saw the replay and I didn't get a great look, but it looked like it rode the stick because that was an absurd placement of that shot from how he was standing. Um, Very possible. Very possible. You could tell me it's wrong, but whatever. But he still has that release. He has that ability. And I think that he's going to score a lot from that side of the ice, especially on the power play. And he does make a huge difference on their power play. It's amazing what happens when you put your young players on the power play, but Hey, the Islanders do that. He only played 953 tonight. He did not get a lot of ice time, but he made the most of his ice time, and he got put on the special teams a lot, and that helps when when an offensive-minded player like him doesn't have to worry necessarily about the defensive side of the puck as much. He can think a little more freely, and we could see how Trotz is kind of maneuvering him around and, and putting him in situations to succeed on the exact opposite side of what David Quinn's doing at the Rangers.
2: Well, I mean, you said it. It's They're putting him in a spot to succeed, but he's also making the most of his opportunities. You now, you, you get that. Kiefer Bellows didn't make the most of his opportunities and now hasn't played in a couple of games because of right. that. But Wallstrom, each and every game, is doing something that says to Trotz, okay, he deserves to be in there. Now, the shot to me does look like it deflects. Um, a little bit off of uh, number three in front. But at the yeah. same time, it looked like it's still going into the back. Of the net. So no, I, it was going to yeah. go in,
1: but... yeah. Everyone jumps to the conclusion, says, "Oh, snipe, snipe, snipe." We, we got to remember, most of the shots in this league that go straight in on goaltenders are tipped.
2: Yeah, and at the same time, it was still an incredible release of the shot. It was a hard right. shot, anyway. It definitely is going in, but that's the sign accurate shooting. You know, we have so many Islanders on the team that have great shots, but they miss the net or they, they don't hit their targets. But Wallstrom, I mean, this is a guy that's always been a pure goal scorer. We saw that what, when he was ten years old on the ice in the Bruins' ice, where he's doing some crazy. Cross moves in, the, in yeah. the intermission. I mean, going all the way back to then, it's just a guy that's really putting in the effort, and you want to see that. And it stems from the veterans in the team showcasing. Hey, I'm doing this stuff. You follow in our footsteps. And I think right now he plays in the second power play unit on the in the Ovi spot. He makes the second power play unit lethal. Pa- Islanders power play that has been dominant recently after their break in play after um Sabers games were postponed. Islanders' power plays look way different. They worked on it those days in practice. And it's just electric. And towards the end of the year and in the playoffs, coming through in the power play is a monumental thing for confidence, momentum, and winning hockey games. Not something the Islanders have really done in the last couple of years is coming through in big moments. Now, again, your the stats don't matter. It's, it's when you do it. And an Islanders in a game like tonight where they couldn't score a five on five, even though they dominated the game, get you on the power play. They make the most of Penguins' mistakes, and the Penguins are really frustrated. You saw them taking stupid penalties, and the Islanders make a chem That's the thing. The Islanders don't do that too often, and now we're seeing what we're seeing. How cool it is when the Islanders could score on the power play and alleviate pressure and get leads, all that fun stuff. Because that's how you have to win at the NHL level, and in the playoffs, you have to make the most of your power play opportunities. Because scoring five and five is just a rarity.
1: Correct. It really is. And like you said, they had not had that success on the power play in the past. And now all of a sudden they're starting to find the back of the net. So teams are going to have to adjust their game plans. And to me, the only way to beat the Islanders consistently, especially in a season like this, where you're going to be playing the same seven teams, is you have to play the same style they do. They don't have that firepower that is going to completely torture you. The Boston game was an anomaly, and I'm sure you can admit that, where they put up seven goals. When was Definitely. the last time you saw the Islanders put up seven goals?
2: In my dreams, like a couple of <laughs> nights ago.
1: <laughs> they, uh, that's what I'm saying. And it's not a knock of them. It's not how they play. So the way that you beat them is you trap in the neutral zone as well. And you make it a one nothing game, and you hope that you have enough skill on your team to out them and score that one goal. And if you do, you're going to win. We've seen them play from behind. It's a much different team than when they play from in front. So – Teams will adjust, and that's why, to me, they're not built to go far in the postseason because automatically that game gets tighter, and now it becomes more of a skill game. The skill players are going to take over. They did it last year. I still believe that that was perfect storm for them. I think that they were going to have some success, not that full run, but there's too many good teams. So they will have to find a way to get a little more scoring. Pajot's on a tear right now. I don't know if that'll continue, but we know it will continue in the postseason. So that's always a good sign for the Islanders fans. Barzal has to continue to be Matt Barzal. Do I think Eberle can keep it up? I'm not entirely sure because he's always been a streaky scorer. That's the problem with them is that they have so many streaky scores. It, and I could say it even though I don't watch them every night because I see the same thing with the Rangers, right? Chris Kreider can go on a tear like he's on right now where he has six goals in three games. And then he can go on a complete hiatus where you have no idea he's even on the ice for two weeks. And it's a similar thing to, with the Islanders, but they are in a good spot. They do have surprisingly tied for the most games played in the division. So that's an interesting thing too, because the Flyers are one point behind them with three games less. So they're really looking at being in that four spot right now and, if the playoffs started today, they'd be playing the Capitals, who they ousted last year.
2: You just got to get into the dance.
1: You do. That's all you got to do. It doesn't matter
2: how matter. you get there. It matters that you do get there. And if the Islanders play the way they've played this week, and they, they get seven out of eight points each game, and, you know, and that's part of the schedule,
0: Correct. they'll
2: certainly get there. And the biggest thing is getting the second line going because this second line was a real big part of their playoff run. They're the biggest part. They carried the team offensively for the most part. And this year when the season started – lackluster, Bavillier gets hurt, Al Cole comes in, the line plays better. But now every night, it seems like more often than not, they're hovering the offensive zone and getting chances. And Brock Nelson's got five goals on the power play, six on the year, so he only has one five-on-five goal, but he's scoring goals. That's automatically a confidence booster. Bavillier is coming into his own again this season after starting off rather slow. And Jordan Eberle is playing like he's played, and Josh Bailey on that line's played like he's played. And they're getting, they're getting better, and they're getting into a flow. And then you see the Islanders' third line, dominating. The Islanders are at their best when Barry Trotz can run all four lines. That was an issue to start this season when they were struggling. And now it's showing that this is the this is how you have success in the NHL level. You can't rely on one line. Relying just on Matt Barzal is not going to get you. In, it might get you into this, the playoffs, but at the end of the day, you're not winning anything. You could roll four lines that are every line is getting in the offensive zone and creating havoc. Not only does it allow the Islanders to get more offense, which they have to come through on more opportunities, I'm not going to lie. They're getting a ton of opportunities and not coming through, which at the end of the day, that's all that matters. But it's the fact that you keep a Crosby line, you keep a Malkin line in their own zone. where so they get the puck, they have to dump and change. That's the important thing. You cover the offensive zone. It doesn't matter if you score. You're eliminating uh, offensive zone time for these top star players. Sidney Crosby was frustrated tonight. Hippa village after a whistle for no reason. Like the, the little things, because the Islanders are so aggressive in their offense the zone for checking hard that it's really not allowing a team like the Penguins, a team like the Bruins we saw on Thursday night, do anything. And that frustrates them. That makes them take penalties. And when the Islanders get on the power play lately, it's worked. So the, the recipe for success is for all four lines to run each game. The defense was great again tonight. Sorokin, like you said, was great. And the Islanders have to keep pushing forward as they play the teams. The, the, the games aren't going to get easier as we go along. The devils aren't a bad team at all. Yes, they lost today, and well, Vinny will join us in a little bit, and he'll give his his take on the Devils thus far. But it doesn't matter who you're playing. If you play like this every single night, you're going to win the games. And I want to see some more 5-on-5 goals, but getting a lead and holding on to it is equally important, no matter how you put the puck in the net.
1: Correct. It, it really is. And, and you said that very nicely. And I think that now is the perfect time before I get into the Rangers to segue into our first Parise Puck Talk with Vinny Parisse. And this is exciting because it's a new segment for us. We get to give our Devils listeners something to to look forward to once a week, and we're going to get some good insight from Vinny. So Vinny, take it away.
0: So after Sunday's defeat to the Washington Capitals, the New Jersey Devils can officially say they're in a little bit of a free fall. It was just a 3-2 defeat at the hands of one of the more veteran teams in the NHL, but it did complete a sweep of the New Jersey Devils by the Washington Capitals over Saturday and Sunday period. The Saturday game looked a little more big of a margin because it was 5-2, to two, but it was a 3-2 game late in the game, and then a breakaway goal allowed Washington to pull ahead 4-2, to two, and then they hit an empty netter. Before that, the Devils scored an overtime goal against the Buffalo Sabres on Thursday thanks to the red-hot Pavel Zaka. But outside of that one win, it's been a couple losses, you know, kind of strung together here. And after a brilliant start, that's kind of concerning when New Jersey beat the Boston Bruins on yeah. February 18th by a final score of three to two. It really looked like they were a team turning the corner. They're a very young team. So to defeat a team like the Bruins, who are one of the best in the NHL like that is really encouraging. But it's pretty clear now after a couple of weeks that there's a lot of work still to be done. Some of the good news surrounding the team is the way that Nico Heasier joined the lineup and was named the captain before he even stepped foot on the ice. That shows a lot of, in my eyes about how the organization sees him as a player. They see him as a leader on and off the ice. He's just going to be viewed as one of the you know top guys on the team for the next you know half decade or more. So seeing him join, he looked a little off at first. He wasn't the Nico Hesher that we're accustomed to seeing, but that's as to be expected after a year-long, almost a year-long drought of not playing games. Due to the pause of last season, the Devils weren't one of the seven, they were one of the seven teams that didn't go to the bubble. And then he broke his foot in Switzerland in early December. And then right when he was ready to come back, he actually came down with the COVID-19 virus. So it took him a minute to get back, but you know, after that point, he was awesome once he finally got that first goal and that win over the Buffalo Sabres, and then sure enough in the second game where he's really looking good, with the extra attacker, a PK Suban blast hits him in the face shield and causes him to bleed, and he misses t- uh Sunday's game against the Washington Capitals. So, they need to get Nico back. It's certainly a tough time in terms of the wins and losses, but the most important thing for this season so far is them getting the young guys to succeed. So you see Jesper Bratt, the way he plays, he's real smooth in his hands, good skater. Jack Hughes is really looking like that guy they drafted him first overall to be. It seems like he could be one of those point-per-game top ten in scoring year-after-year players. And that's really nice to have as a compliment to Nico Hischier, who might not have the high offensive ceiling like Hughes, but if you combine their two skill sets together, you have a one-two punch down the middle that could develop into a championship caliber one if they can figure out the bottom six, the defense. And then there's Mackenzie Blackwood, who before this weekend against the Washington Capitals, where he gave up a couple weird goals, I would say he had been one of the best goalies in the NHL up to that point. So I'm not necessarily worried about Mackenzie Blackwood. He is the backbone of this team and where he goes the Devils go. As their upcoming schedule, they have your guys' Islanders and Rangers in the the next 3 games before a trip over to Boston. So it's definitely a tough road ahead for New Jersey as they have rivals coming up. It's basically an all-rival division now, but they're all good teams, you know, even the ones at the bottom except for Buffalo, who the Devils might have struggled with more than any team in their division so far. So a big stretch of games coming up here, and it'll be nice if Nico's able to rejoin the lineup. And, you know, we're waiting for that one game where both Jack Hughes and Nico Hishier just go on an offensive explosion. So that's where we're at with the New Jersey Devils right now. They're on a little bit of a free fall after one of the best starts in the league. So if they can get things together and go on a little run here, not necessarily make the playoffs, that's not what's important. The important thing is development. But winning a bunch of games in a row here, I think Duke could really help that. So we'll see how it goes. They have the Islanders on Tuesday and then the Rangers on Thursday and Saturday. So it should be a fun week between our teams here.
1: All right. That was Vinny Parise, everybody. Vinny, great insight as always. That was awesome to hear about the Devils. And yes, they have been losing, but they're still a good young team. And we see with the Rangers, you're going to have those ups and downs, especially when you're young. So they will be a pest on the side of a lot of these uh, top four or five teams in the East, similar to how I expect the Rangers to be towards the end of the season, where I think they'll be on the outside looking in. But, hey, they're going to be giving teams a run for their money night in and night out. But now it's time to talk about the Rangers, who – are the only team in the NHL that could look otherworldly one night and look like a bottom feeder the next. And that's been a pattern all season. It's tough watching a team have six goals and multiple players contributing and buzzing around, especially against then the division leading team. And then they come back and no one's buzzing. They look like a shell of themselves. And to me, it stems to coaching. I have said it numerous times. I don't think that they are that bad. I think they're on the cusp of something. I think they are the best, worst team in the league. Mm-hmm. I think if you had a playoffs with every single team that misses the playoffs, they would win, but that's not what we play for. We don't play for the consolation trophies. We play for the Stanley Cup, and when you are in a position like the Rangers are where you have these skilled guys who are underperforming and you have players who are out for multiple reasons – you need your big names to step up, and they have not. Sabanajet had two two assists, I should say, in that first game against Boston was completely lost uh, today, and he still can't find the back of the net. I think if the goalie was pulled, is the only way he could score, and he's kind of proven that point because fifty percent of his goals this season have come with the empty net, and that's one out of two, so that's sad. That's Alexi great, that's Aaron, great though. math,
2: though. That's great math, though. I'm proud. My
1: third grade math teacher would be thrilled that I just pulled that out and got it right without a calculator. So. Alexei Lafreniere, right? I put out a tweet saying he's looking like a first overall pick because he's playing well. And I know that you got these casuals. I'm not going to mention any Twitter handles that just look for
2: points.
1: (laughs) Okay. And they don't know the game of hockey. They don't because I could sit in a room and talk hockey with them and they'd be lost at the stuff I start bringing up and look at because they just look at points. Wallstrom's doing very well. Wallstrom has five points in 13 games this season. Lafreniere only has four. But he's got three points in the last four games, and he's starting to heat up. And why is he starting to heat up? Because he's playing with confidence with and without the puck. He's not the best skater. Sure, somebody mentioned that. Same Twitter handle. Doesn't have to be the best skater. Now there is Artemi Panarin. Artemi Panarin's not going to break away at speed. Artemi Panarin's going to break in so slowly that he's going to lull you to sleep and make a move and make a play. And that's what makes him so dangerous. Ask Nathan McKinnon, who basically gave that summary of him during the Hart Trophy final uh, presentation. That's the same type of player Alexi Lafreniere is. You watch his highlights. It's small moves, small cuts, small passes. That's what he does, and he's starting to get that effective ability going towards the net, making plays. He made a great play to Strom the other night. He set up Blackwell's goal, It'll drop pass to give Blackwell space, walks into the slot, scores. That's what we're going to have to see more of, and he's starting to get that confidence. of once Edel comes back, which he should be back Tuesday, and you could start putting a young line together with him, Lafreniere, and hopefully Kako, whenever he comes back, that's going to be a dangerous line, and it's going to start to improve together. But we will see points in the end do mean all, especially after a certain time. But the progression of a 19-year-old who had no preseason, had a 10-day camp, and hadn't played in six months, you got to look at how he's playing overall, not just how many points are going into the back of the net. So, please, Alexei Lafreniere is starting to look like a first overall pick, and it's progressing game in and game out.
2: Well, you have to also understand that Wallstrom played last year. Wallstrom went overseas and played this summer. I
1: I am in no way, shape, or form. No,
2: I'm backing up your point. I'm backing your point. So, people that are saying that Wallstrom is better than Lafreniere, in the grand scheme of things, it really doesn't matter who's better, as long as they're contributing to their team and helping them win. Wallstrom didn't start the season really hot. He was getting chances, but didn't get the points. Now Wallstrom's getting points. Lafreniere is starting to get up. He's going to start collecting points. He's going to start playing the same way Wallstrom is playing right now. He has to make the most of his opportunities. Brendan, is he on the power play unit for the Rangers?
1: No. He's okay. On the, he's, on the, he's on the second unit, which on average, sees about 15 seconds of ice time per power play if it gets there.
2: Okay. And where did Wallstrom progress tonight? Where did he show his his, his best?
1: And that's what I wanted to talk about because you brought it up he's he's going to be a power play specialist right yes i'm not going to say he'll get goals five on five i'm not saying that but he's got one of those players that is going to thrive on a power play just because of his shot and his vision lafreniere is on the second power play unit behind colin blackwell okay colin blackwell's been phenomenal i am not saying (laughs) he's not been phenomenal he's got five goals in 11 games okay this guy's come out of nowhere he's 0.5 goals per game. I mean, that's absurd for somebody who played 27 NHL games last season and was a fourth-line role player for Nashville. So don't get me wrong, he's playing great, but when you have all these guys out and you are looking as a team that is supposed to be progressing in a rebuild, Colin Blackwell, as good as he's playing, could be on that second power play unit. Lafreniere, who is your future and your first overall pick, should be on that first power play unit and given the chance to create with the best names. I don't care if he hasn't earned it by points. It's common sense to put your best player out there. The Oilers didn't put McDavid on the second power play unit when he first came into the league and he was their first overall pick, right? The Maple Leafs didn't do that with Matthews. Those players are a lot better than Lafreniere was their first year, sure, but they gave them the opportunity. You have to give them the opportunity to earn their spot on that unit. You don't give them the chance to say, go on the power play two or we won't play you, earn your spot on the first one. You say, go on to that first unit, and if you don't play well, we'll demote you. But if you play well, you'll stay there, especially when you're that highly touted and are projected to do such big things. It doesn't make sense to me.
2: What also doesn't make sense, and that was great talk, by the way, but what also doesn't make sense is who Quinn decided to go with in goal today. Oh. And I know how you feel about this, and I know Georgiev got hurt in this one, so she's had to come in, then Georgiev went back in. But how, how do you make... First off, you're playing a Bruins team that Was completely rattled this weekend. You know they got killed by the Islanders. They got killed by the Rangers. You knew they were going to bounce back and play quite well. When do you want your top goaltender in in net to face a Bruins team that you know is going to come out on fire? You you know for the fact it's a Bruins team. You know why they're really good because when they have really bad games or a few games together that are pretty much terrible and defensive zone breakdowns all the time, they bounce back because they're one of the best teams in hockey. Your number one goaltender has to be in net for that, unless it was a back-to-back situation. And if that was the case, then the first night you probably wouldn't start. Sister, can you start Georgiev, see how that goes. And then the last game before a day or two off, then you go to Shosturkin. But that's not the case.
1: That is one reason why you don't start Georgiev in this game. The other one is because they just played you. They just faced Georgiev. They just got throttled. They now see what Georgiev can give up. This is only one day and a half later. Switch goalies on them. Switch the look a little bit. Especially for a team that you know is going to come out on a horse because they had gotten throttled by you, like you said. They're going to start to pepper your goalie with shots. Don't give them the same look. And Georgiev didn't play bad. Those goals weren't on him. He the first goal was a nice move by Coyle around Miller. He snipped him. Then he got taken out. The second goal went in on Chesterkin. It was redirected right in front of nothing he could do. And he actually got the loss. And then the third that goal. It started. is hysterical. He had two shots. One of them went in. He gets the loss. The third goal was a shot from the point. And was on the wrong side of the net because he couldn't see it. And then there was an empty net. He didn't play bad. But I still would have started Chesterkin. And to me, it all comes down to when Chesterkin plays well and has a good game. They've switched to Georgiev so many times, but when Georgiev has one good game, you stick with him. I mean, what kind of message is that sending? It's just—it's mind-boggling some of the decision making that goes on, and, and and we're not even talking about the empty net situations where they put out Lemieux and Rooney. Uh, why? What does Lemieux do? Like, that's a serious question. I'm I'm asking you if you want to try he, to give me an answer. He Puts
2: his gloves on the ice, maybe throw some fisticuffs now because and then.
1: Today I watched him play and just non-factor out there. And instead of fighting the guy that hurt Georgiev when it happened, he waits till the buzzer sounds and it can do no good for the Rangers at all. If you're going to fight him for hurting Georgiev, fight him during the game when you can get some momentum out of it. I mean, that's a pointless fight.
2: I, I agree. And I think going back to your why Georgiev started, I think it's a fact. I think Tony D'Angelo, um, you know, I think Quinn wants – you're going to have to play as much as possible. That way it spites Tony D'Angelo and makes him feel bad. I I think that's the reason behind that. I don't know your take on
1: that, but I have no idea. I hope not. (laughs) No, but like you said,
2: though, if, if a goalie gets hurt in the game and someone who ran into him,
1: Uh, it was Nick Ritchie that he didn't run into him. He fell on him in front. It wasn't even his fault.
2: Okay. It wasn't his fault, but it, (laughs) it doesn't matter. If a guy pushes someone into your goal and your goalie goes down, you go after that guy because you're not going after your own guy. The fight has to happen during the game. Like you said, after the game happens and it's over with, what does your fight do? Bro, it lets you get some aggressiveness out of your system. doesn't wake your team. What is your team going to do with that? Have a party in the locker room or bang their head against the wall? Speaking of banging their head against the wall, a goalie the other day came off the rink after being pulled. I can't remember who it was. Banged his head right against the wall.
1: You're not Either talking way. about the Bennington incident? Oh,
2: no, no, no. Oh, this was, uh, this was um, oh, my God, the guy in Calgary. Markstrom. March, no Riddick it was Riddick Riddick comes off the rink after getting pulled two days ago or last night walking down the tunnel headbutts the wall Jordan Bennington by the way that was made,
1: hysterical needs
2: a pacifier and a diaper because <laughs> I thought first, it, was uh, great. it was great he, you know for everyone that didn't see it he gets pulled he has to skate far off the rink he bangs into a player's center ice and then he goes after Dubnik he was just grumpy and I tweeted out um when you don't get when you don't get your morning coffee in time and everyone just pisses <laughs> you off that's pretty much reminding me of. But yes, you go after the guy that injures your goalie. It doesn't matter whose fault it is. It's the principle.
1: Okay. Wait what's your voice on? What's worse? That him getting pulled after allowing four goals in the second period, right? It was not four goals in the second, four goals they were playing in the second yes. period. Or the fact that the Sharks left Devin Dubnik in there to get torched for seven.
2: Well, what are you going to do? Put Martin Jones in there?
1: You just can't let one goalie get torched for seven. Yeah, but then you he have two go- Seven have- goals on 31 shots.
2: We have two goalies torched, Brendan we talked about this so many times about how the San Jose Sharks thought this was ever going to work bringing (laughs) in the two worst goalies in the NHL one of the two worst hoping is not in that conversation apparently anymore but just looking at no I don't know why they thought it would work it hasn't worked it's not going to work it doesn't make any sense but for the Islanders, you know, you look back at, to go back to what happened with Varlamov last night, allowing two goals in two minutes and 26 seconds, two weak goals. People were complaining, oh, get, get Varlamov off the rink. You know, he can't be in there. Well, first off, Islanders are in a back to back situation. You pull Varlamov in the second period in a tie game, you put Sorokin in. Now, what are you doing? Can't, probably can't start Sorokin the next day, depending on how much the workload is. And on the other hand, you're gonna put Balmov in again after he allowed weakles? Uh you can't do that. But for the San Jose Sharks, they weren't in a back to back situation. So they could have put Martin Jones in there to get some work, but at the same time, that, that goalie tandem is just it's laughable. It really is laughable. Back to the Rangers, Brendan. You know, what do they face next?
1: That's a very, very good question. Uh, I really well, should know I'm, this.
2: Since I'm such a nice guy and I have it up already. I know but, it's
1: Tuesday and I think it's a team that they should beat.
2: Uh, it is a, I'll tell you right now, it isn't a team that they should be. It's, it's called the Buffalo, Buffalo Sabres. Right. Where they could then meet their uh, future teammate, Jack Eichel.
1: That game, if Jack Eichel plays, I personally think that the Rangers should go to the away locker room and give him a jersey and just have him sneak over and play on the Rangers' side. Mm-hmm. But if Edel's back, Rangers play well. Because Edel, Edel had, I think it was three points in five games. And we all remember that goal he scored against Pittsburgh that was just absolutely filthy in the same game that he wound up getting hurt, and he's missed the last month. But if Kaku can come back too, that's huge. I don't think he is going to be back. I think he's still on COVID protocol, so hopefully they can get him. But Eel coming back is definitely big, and God help them if they start you or give in that game. <laughs> just seriously because the
2: sabers they're so good offensively uh, Jeff Skinner Taylor Hull. oh wait no no they're not
1: that is the perfect game with the way the sabers have played this season that is the perfect game to get Chesterkin on a tear another one of those mini tears that he can go on we saw it briefly this year briefly but if he can have a huge game against the sabers you're talking about a guy that's going to start to breed and exude confidence to the rest of the team again, and that's something that is huge for them. I I can't even talk about it because I know personally that if I was the coach, I think the split right now is 60-40. To me, it wouldn't be 60-40. It would be 70-30, 75-25 because if Shesterkin's really that guy of the future, why not let him get the bulk of the starts in a 56-game season? He's not going to tire out. <laughs> I mean, you make- saw last year,
2: Sturkin was at his best when he played every night. Sturkin was at his best when he is back in the crease every single night. And what kind of message does it send, like you said, when you play well and you're not back in there for two games in a row, correct?
1: I mean, that, yeah, that was the second straight game as a backup.
2: And you have to also look at it as maybe they want to get Georgie more minutes so he can showcase something if they want to trade him. You know, that could be a situation as well. But, that, that can't be that can't be the motive in a 56 game season where the Rangers are trying to do something. They're not, you know, making the playoffs is a stretch right now, but it's not impossible. You know, you can't you count count that all you want. All you need is a little point streak, ten, 10 game point streak. You never know. Once the offense clicks, the defense has been great. No matter right. how many people on Twitter, I mean, I mean, yes, I like the Islanders. I'm not a fan of the Rangers. Have to respect what they're doing defensively. It's just it's,
1: a, it's numbers, bro. Just look at numbers, and they're doing it with Jack Johnson playing. So however many numbers you want to throw out there, that is in and of itself an accomplishment. Jacob Truba might not be living up to that $8 million contract, but he's still a sturdy defenseman. He's out. I mean, Miller was on COVID protocol. They're playing with a second pairing right now that's X and Boteto. Boteto's scratch for Johnson, and Smith is in there. Like, I mean, they're playing with some weird players, and Jacques Martin has turned this defense into one that's not going to give up a lot of goals. They only gave up three goals today to the Boston besides an empty net. All right, so that's five goals in two games, really, to Boston, and they beat them six two. And they haven't—they've beaten three of their last four games before today, were wins against the Capitals, Flyers, and Bruins. So they're not playing poor hockey, and they're playing good defensive hockey. And by the, before I let you finish, because I can't talk about this anymore. Okay, I texted our friends, and I said, "Listen, Georgiev's going to start Sunday. This was after the Friday game." And he should not. And I said, here's why. The Bruins had a 2.49 expected goals on Friday night. And he gave up two. So technically he's better. They also hit two posts. Okay. He got beat four times in that game. He didn't look all that good. And he didn't have to because the Raiders dominated that game. And I knew right away that Quinn was going to see, oh, he only gave up two goals against the Bruins. Let's put him in there. He's going to be playing well. He does not earn that. Serkin played better giving up four against the Flyers than he did giving up two against the Bruins. And they should have went back to him. And that's it. You got to look at these underlying numbers. If they're this available and I could find them in two seconds, there's no reason that they shouldn't see that. And I don't know if there was something in the locker room that was telling them Georgiev was ready to go, but he didn't play bad again. I'm not saying that. The coach has to give his team the best chance to win. I think that putting Shesterkin in goal today would have done that. Would it have changed the outcome completely? Probably not. The Rangers got completely outplayed. But I like to see a coach making the right decisions. If to me, if Trotz was behind the bench, Shesterkin would have been goal today.
2: I agree. I think what we should do for you, Brendan, is just give you a nice, nice suit and you just put the mask on, nobody knows. Walk into MSG go right to the suite and start start making some moves. Cause I mean, you've been you really have been all year on Twitter or on the show or just talking to me. Spot on with everything you said, everything you predicted seems to come to light. Even your, your failed bet you had, right? Your but dream I, that you didn't bet.
1: Because it's everything. not that hard to, it's just trends and predictions when it comes to what's going to happen with this team. It's very predictable. Like I, if I put my text message conversations out there, they're all correct because somebody said, if the Rangers score the first goal today, they're going to win this game. And I said, there's no way, shape or form to score in the first goal. Boston's going to come out like a out of hell. And they did. And they couldn't stop him. And, uh, I mean, it, it's just very predictable because that's how they play. There are too many ups and downs in their game. And y- you got too many players that can't play. Like Jed looks completely lost. When I say lost, he can't find the puck. And when the puck is passed to him, it's like he's got a trampoline tape to his stick because it just starts popping up and down all over the place. It's ridiculous. I don't know what's wrong with them, but they're going to figure it out soon because they're in too many games. Like uh, they, they, they look terrible today. And this was a 3-1 game, right? It's a 3-1 game before the empty net, and they look terrible. So all I could try to say is put on a brave face and remember that once this team clicks at 75% consistently, they're going to start to put things together.
2: Well, thank you all for joining us for another edition of The batch Check. Thanks for Vinny Parise coming on for his first of many segments, Talking Devils Hockey. Islanders and Rangers both in action on Tuesday. Rangers are hosting the Sabres while the Islanders head to Newark. Again, as always, thanks for tuning in. We'll see you again on our live show on Wednesday.
0: The Back Check is your one-stop shop for NHL news and all things Rangers and Islanders. Thanks for sticking with us for this edition of The Back Check. Follow the show on social media at Pod.